This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Mardi Gras Tuesday, February 21st of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear about an event taking place this weekend in Denver to raise awareness about health inequities for Black mothers and infants. A new report reveals that oil and gas operators waste over $500 million worth of methane, the primary component of natural gas, on public lands every year. And urban dwellers in the Colorado Basin have reduced their water footprint. That story and more on the current edition of This Week in Water. After the BBC News headlines comes How on Earth. Today's science show features the Colorado Environmental Film Festival, which starts this Thursday in Golden and goes through the weekend. At 9 a.m., we have another archival recording of the late British philosopher Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, Terry Reardon will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. But first, it's time for local and regional headlines with KGNU's John Kellen. A 45-year-old man is in jail and facing possible felony charges in connection with a shooting incident at the Millennium Harvest House Hotel in Boulder Monday. Police suspect Antonio Orlando Lucero shot off numerous rounds in his hotel room and in the area of the hotel. Authorities reported no injuries, but the gunfire led to an active shooter response by police and a shelter-in-place order for people within several square blocks of the hotel. According to a City of Boulder press release, the incident began around 9.30 when a CU police officer driving on 28th Street heard shots fired. Officers from Boulder and other nearby departments responded. After identifying the suspect's hotel room, police searched it and found two handguns as well as evidence of gunshots. Police lifted the shelter-in-place order around noon after taking Lucero into custody near Folsom Street. He was first taken to a hospital and then to the Boulder County Jail. Possible charges against him include one felony count of possession of a weapon by a previous offender, one felony account of intent to distribute narcotics, and resisting arrest. Metro Denver is bracing for a new winter storm. The National Weather Service predicts snow and colder temperatures in the region and has issued a winter storm warning going into effect tonight into tomorrow. They're forecasting a 90% chance of precipitation with a mix of rain and snow after 10 o'clock tonight. Three to six inches of snow is possible in the Denver area on Wednesday. Higher elevations may see up to two feet of new snow. With wind chill factored in, temperatures could get as low as four degrees below zero. Members are needed for a new advisory grant committee aimed at broadening Coloradans' access to healthy food. KGNU's Alyssa Palazzo has more. The Colorado Department of Agriculture, or CDA, is looking for people to fill positions in the new Small Food Business Recovery and Resiliency Grant Advisory Committee. This committee will assist in awarding about $6 million in non-competitive grants to improve the availability of fresh, healthy food in Colorado, especially in areas currently lacking access. The Department of Agriculture aims to offset higher prices small businesses experience compared to larger food retailers. The Grant Advisory Committee will consist of up to seven members, including people from the relevant community and nonprofit organizations, smaller food businesses not already applying for community food access grants, and people who have previously been in food assistance programs. The application is available online at ag.colorado.gov backslash CFA. For KGNU, I'm Alyssa Palazzo. 
Representatives for the Public Employees Retirement Association are asking supporters to write their elected officials to help preserve fossil fuel-related language in a bill that's passing through the state Senate Finance Committee today. They say that language is a provision in danger of being amended out of the bill. It would require PIRA board members to vote in line with the state's greenhouse gas emissions reduction goals via a proxy voter and would also require PIRA to report any type of climate-related investments risk of impact and strategies. Another bill now before state lawmakers would give local Colorado governments the ability to buy multifamily properties before private bidders. To qualify for the so-called right of first refusal law, local governments would have to agree to use the properties for affordable housing. Supporters say if enacted, the bill would give local governments an edge when establishing new affordable housing projects. Opponents say the bill's scope is too broad. The measure, House Bill 231190, goes before the House Transportation, Housing, and Local Government Committee next week. Coloradans are paying an average 75 cents more per gallon at the gas pump than they were a year ago. AAA Colorado reports the average price of gas in Colorado was 54 cents higher than it was a month ago and 69 cents above the national average. As of yesterday, the average price per gallon across the state is $4.10. AAA says the cost for diesel is even higher, averaging $4.82 per gallon. That's nearly 30 cents higher than a month ago. Nine News says that petroleum analysts are citing refinery challenges and the transition to summer gasoline among the reasons for the higher prices. In today's weather forecast, we're expecting partly sunny skies and mild temperatures. Look for a high of 55 degrees in Boulder, 58 in Denver, 53 in Fort Collins, and 39 in Netherland, where there is also a high wind warning. The National Weather Service says that tonight we'll have rain turning into snow by 1 a.m., They say we could have three to five inches of new snow tomorrow, which could result in a slippery Wednesday morning commute. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Mounting evidence shows that black mothers and infants run a significantly higher risk of mortality in the United States than their white counterparts, and that's regardless of income. A recent study by the National Bureau of Economic Research cross-referenced income and tax data with health data for more than 2 million births in California over nine years. It found that health outcomes were generally better for those in higher-income brackets, except for wealthy black mothers and their babies. Sister to Sister, an international network of professional African-American women, will be hosting an event in Denver this Saturday, centering the issue of health equity. Black Talk host Michelle Simpson spoke with Sister to Sister's founder, Velveta Golightly-Howell. Sister to Sister, the organization you founded over 30 years ago, is an international network of professional African-American women that has been particularly, particularly busy. Um, busy getting the word out and educating the community about just how the United States maternal health care system fails Black women, their babies, their families, every day. So in keeping with your focus, I'd love it if you wouldn't mind telling us what you have in store, what Sister to Sister has in store on February 25th. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's a pleasure being here with you. On February 25th, We are going to be hosting an event that is titled Towards Health 
Equity, Saving Lives of Black Mothers and Infants Inaugural Educational Fundraising Gala. It is going to be at the Colorado History Center. We are going to start the actual program at 6 p.m. However, ticket holders that would like to view the Art Museum's exhibits will be able to do that from 5 to 6 p.m. No charge. And as I understand it, you have a special guest speaker. Can you tell me about that, who your keynote speaker will be that evening? Yes, we are very, very privileged to have Dr. Dana Bowen Matthew, who is the first Black and the first woman dean of the George Washington School of Law in Washington, D.C. Dr. Matthew, who holds both a Juris Doctorate as well as a Ph.D. in a health-related field, is one of the most renowned experts on racial and ethnic health disparities here in the United States. She is not only the dean and the first to hold that position as a Black and a Black woman, she's also a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute in Washington, D.C., which is a very, very famous think tank. In addition, she is an author of two books on the subject of racial and ethnic health disparities. Zavell, what is it that you want to not just share with us about that evening, about uh, February 25th? What is it that you hope we, we take away? Well, first of all, Michelle, I hope that all of the guests will bring with them an open mind. One that allows them to accept truth. Oftentimes, people do not want to hear truth when it comes to what has happened in this country that we call America, which is proclaimed as the greatest country on earth for 400 plus years. However, in order to improve the lives of each of us, we have to be ready to listen to and just show grace to those who are speaking truth to power. What I hope and expect guests will take away is a sense of amazement, amazement at knowledge that they will acquire that evening, knowledge that they probably have never been exposed to before. This is knowledge concerning the state of America's public health crisis when it comes to Black, maternal, and infant mortality and morbidity. Also, relative to just racial and ethnic health disparities in health and health care. Many people, including those who are 
Black, Indigenous, people of color don't understand how difficult it is to navigate the healthcare system. They also don't understand the barriers that they will encounter in all likelihood at some point in their lives. They don't understand that those barriers will be there for their children, their grandchildren, and future generations because our healthcare system is really built with only Caucasian people in mind. And it is built on certain assumptions and presumptions. One of those presumptions is that Black people are able to bear more pain than other people. There is an actual algorithm that physicians who are open and candid will share with their patients who are Black that is set at a much higher level for pain tolerance than that set for Caucasians. Most likely, that is true as well for other persons of color. However, Black people are the most affected. They are the ones who have been subjected to all kinds of purported medical testing in the name of science, medical science, over hundreds and hundreds of years and been exposed to so many atrocities in the healthcare system. So really, what I and my colleagues who are working diligently to do is make sure that that message is heard by those in the room and that they will carry the message forward. No, absolutely. I mean, if we just take a look historically at what we now consider modern gynecology to understand that we would have little to no knowledge had it not been for the bodies, the experimentation that was conducted on the bodies of Black enslaved women without anesthesia, without any sort of concern or care um, for what they might be experiencing. And it goes back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier, Val, when you talked about that pain threshold, that idea that we lack <laughs> kind of the very basic humanity to even feel pain. So Val, any last words before we kind of close this segment? I would just offer that if you go to our website, which is www sister, S-I-S-T-E-R hyphen two T-O sister, S-I-S-T-E-R dot org. As soon as you click on the homepage, you will see a link to the event page where all information is there. That is the space through which tickets are being sold, as well as remaining sponsorships and we are now at the point where we are nearing capacity. So listeners, you know where to find information. You can go out to Sister to Sister's website. You can look on the KGNU website. Thank you so much, Val, for coming on. And thank you, Michelle.
A new Environmental Defense Fund and Taxpayers for Common Sense report reveals that oil and gas operators waste over $500 million worth of methane, the primary component of natural gas, on public lands every year. Those losses translate into roughly $63 million in lost state, tribal, and federal royalties. Eric Galatis has more. Oil and gas operators waste over $500 million worth of natural gas on public lands every year, according to a new report. Chad Frankie with the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union says farmers, along with other members of rural communities, would benefit if operators were to capture and sell lost natural gas. He says many rural counties are facing budget cuts for things like K-12 education and health care. These rural communities are ones that are relying upon some of that severance tax from the wells and the minerals that are extracted. And by not capturing that methane, that natural gas, that value is never captured as well. So the tax severance is never paid on that. Roughly $63 million in state, tribal, and federal revenues are lost each year through routine venting, flaring, and leaks. Some oil and gas producers have balked at investing in tools to capture lost gas, citing upfront costs. Others argue that the costs taken on by companies in states like Colorado, which regulate emissions, are negligible once lost gas is sold at market. Autumn Hanna with the group Taxpayers for Common Sense says the Biden administration has an opportunity to make all states play by the same rules. The EPA is considering rules that would help identify sources of methane pollution to protect public health, and the BLM is considering rules that would push companies to capture lost gas, bring it to market, and then collect royalties that are shared with states. So through these two rulemakings, they can ratchet down waste and increase revenue for taxpayers and decrease the climate risk that are associated with all this methane pollution. The report estimates the amount of wasted gas is enough to meet the energy needs of over 2 million households. Methane is at least 85 times more potent at trapping heat in the atmosphere than carbon. Frankie believes that stopping routine flaring, venting, and leaks would be an important step towards mitigating the impacts of a changing climate. As our farmers deal with more catastrophes and more extreme weather, we need to be doing everything we can to minimize that if possible. This is Eric Galatis reporting for the Colorado News Connection. Time now for This Week in Water from H2O Radio. Whales are whaling less and fighting more. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. It's been about two weeks since a Norfolk Southern freight train with 11 cars carrying dangerous chemicals derailed in the town of East Palestine, Ohio, about 40 miles northwest of Pittsburgh. Concerns still linger for the safety of people and wildlife. Over fears of an explosion, officials burned off the carcinogenic chemical vinyl chloride carried in the tank cars, which created a large smoke cloud that loomed over the area. Recently, shimmering chemicals appeared in creeks near Palestine, which experts said was likely vinyl chloride. State officials said that 3,500 fish across 7.5 miles of streams had been killed, and a plume of contamination had made its way to the Ohio River, from which some cities get their drinking water. However, a state EPA spokesperson said the river's large enough to dilute pollutants pretty quickly. An official with the Greater Cincinnati Water Works told CNN there were no high concentrations of chemicals downstream. In an interview with The Conversation, Andrew Welton of Purdue University said people in the area were understandably worried. 
They have had headaches, which can be caused by chemicals and volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. Welton said there could be possible contamination of homes, soils, and water by a number of unknown chemicals created by the fire. He said the long-term impact will depend in part on how fast and thoroughly cleanup occurs. According to USA Today, in the last 10 years, there have been over 5,000 incidents of hazardous material spilling or leaking from trains, some of which were sitting in rail yards. The Colorado River Basin is in a crisis brought on by long-term drought made much worse from climate change-induced aridification. As the levels of the two large reservoirs on the river, Lakes Powell and Mead, continue to drop, it's encouraging news that per capita urban water usage in large populated areas that depend on the Colorado or its tributaries has fallen. A study led by Brian Richter of the organization Sustainable Waters shows that cities over one million in population have cut their per person usage by 18 percent from 2000 to 2020, even as those areas grew by 24 percent. The use of water in smaller cities increased 3 percent because of two factors, according to Richter. They're growing very fast while not having the financial capability to invest in conservation programs. Programs like paying homeowners to remove turf or replace old toilets are working, as are rate structures that increase the cost for a household that uses more. Last week, Lake Powell reached its lowest level since it was filled in the 1960s, despite heavy snow in much of the West in January. Experts say it would take years of moisture to restore the West's water resources. If you haven't heard of biochar, that may soon change. Known also as black carbon, biochar is made from heating biomass, like wood and crop residues, at very high temperatures without oxygen, a process called pyrolysis. The resulting charcoal-like product is being used to improve soil health and keep pollutants out of waterways, and it's also being touted as a climate solution for its ability to lock carbon in the ground from waste that if left to rot, would emit greenhouse gases. Instead, carbon that was once rice hulls, corn stover, or forest logs would be converted into biochar to filter wastewater at treatment plants, fertilize crops, or, if lawmakers in Colorado have their way, prevent abandoned oil and gas wells from leaking climate-warming gases. As the Associated Press reports, last week, state legislators gave initial approval to study plugging wells with biochar to prevent methane leaks, which orphaned wells release even after they've been shut down. Biochar is having a moment on the national stage as well. Last year, Congress introduced the Biochar Research Network Act of 2022, which, if passed, would establish 20 research stations to learn more about the material's potential to benefit farmers and the environment. And finally, male humpback whales in Australia are changing their tune when it comes to finding love. Instead of singing to attract a mate, they're playing the tough guy. The number of Australian humpbacks have rebounded dramatically since commercial whaling was banned, 
One population off Australia's east coast grew from fewer than 500 in the 1960s to an estimated 30,000 today. Rebecca Dunlop at the University of Queensland, who studies whales near the Great Barrier Reef, says that means there's more competition between males to court females. Singing out to them would alert rivals, so the guys have changed their strategy to quietly find a mate and, if need be, fight an interloper through ramming, charging, or even head slapping. The new behavior is a sign of a conservation success, and Dunlop isn't concerned that singing will stop, just that mating might be more confrontational in the future. Let's face it, a suitor bearing gifts of krill and mackerel might be nice, but what lady whale isn't taken in by a love song? That's it for this week in water. Support comes from Right Water Engineers, providing water resources engineering in Colorado and beyond for more than 60 years. Projects, services, and resumes are online at rightwater.com. That's all we have for today's Morning Magazine. Thanks to John Kellen, Alyssa Palazzo, Alexis Kenyon, Michelle Simpson, Eric Galatis, Jamie Sudler, and Franny Halperin for their contributions to today's program. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for headlines from the BBC. And after that, how on earth? The KGNU Science Show.